Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Well, hi there again. Hi. If I haven't introduced you, I haven't introduced me to you. I'm Steve, and uh, I, it's a real privilege, uh, this part of the, our time together. When we uh, adopted and uh, merged with Westside Church back in, back in Easter, one of, the, one of the privileges was to see a community who were in London for the long haul. Uh, this community has been going for over 120 years as a Christian mission and uh, one of the beauties that uh, we've seen and we, we've seen over the last year as we, we've been talking to the leaders and getting to know the team is uh, just that individuals are here for the community. And I wanted to introduce you to, to Val and Rosie who uh, we're not going to have a, like an, a traditional Orthodox preach as such. But uh, a couple of months ago, they, they shared their story of uh, responding to knife crime together. And uh, I was so moved by it. I just thought, uh, rather than just me hearing it, I wanted us as a community to hear it and just how, how individuals have responded to a need in the community and what that means for us as, as individuals. So why don't we give Val and Rosie a round of applause. Um, this is Val. This is Ra- if you're at Westside, the, these, uh, these two wonderful people are, will be very, very familiar. Uh, at Battersea, this is Val and Rosie. And uh, they're just going to share over the next, next few minutes the, the story and what they've been doing uh, for families in, uh, in the borough of Wandsworth and beyond. Why don't we pray for them? So if, just do me a favor. Just stretch out your hand as a sign of blessing and a sign of, of life and liberty. And uh, just, let's just pray for them. So Jesus, we thank you for, for Val. We thank you for Rosie. We thank you for this uh, beautiful, beautiful ministry. Give them all that they need uh, to give back to us. Now for the rest of you, put your hands on your ears, just for now. May you hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Put your hands on your ears at Westside and Battersea. May you hear what the Spirit of God is saying to to you. Uh, Just may the Spirit of God uh, provoke, prod, encourage, uh, remind you of all that he's doing in the life of our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Good morning, everybody here. Good morning, everybody at the Battersea site and at the West Side site. I feel like I need to say after that introduction that although West Side has been around for 120 years, Val and I haven't. Um, but we have been there um, a little while. And it's a real privilege to be able to talk to you all today about one of our passions, especially after the talk we heard last week on One Peter from Karen. So if you missed it, Go online and listen. She was amazing. Um, And she was talking about radical submission first to Christ and then in working out what that means in today's world. And she mentioned something about bringing lament and complaint to God while being expectant of God's intervention, as the psalmist did. 
and about working out when to protest injustice alongside the slow, hard work of loving our neighbour. And it felt like she was describing what happens within RTK, responding together to knife crime. We experience the pain of others, we notice discrimination, we look for how our responses can bring comfort and justice and creativity and truth into what can feel like impossible situations. So I'm going to briefly describe what RTK is before Val brings some stories that reveal the heart of it. So RTK began just under three years ago um, because when a young man was killed with a knife about 10 metres away from the steps of the West Side site um, in, that was 2017, I began to pray about whether God was asking for any response from me and as you'll hear a little bit in just a few moments, Val had already been responding for many years. And about a couple of years later, Val and I attended a knife crime forum in Battersea. It was at Providence House, for those in Battersea who know it well. Um, and inspired, we were inspired then, I was inspired by the idea that change comes through communities coming together. And so Val and I got our heads together and began RTK. Um, so you'll have seen um, on screen there, RTK is a community, and it's for anyone of any faith or any outlook. The only common thread is that we share a concern about the impact of knife crime and serious youth violence on our neighbourhoods and our society, and particularly on young people. So via monthly Thursday meetings, we gather to remember and celebrate the lives of young people who've been killed, to comfort and to listen and to support those who are most affected, and to highlight and support initiatives that are going on around us and further afield to reduce this serious youth violence. And I'm going to hand over to Val, who's going to share some, her story and some other stories with you. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Steve, as well, for that prayer. Absolutely needed that. And this fits in, I think, perfectly because, as Rosie said, um, this term, while we've been looking at First Peter, while we see the suffering is the dominant theme, hope is the prominent emphasis. And so already, if you didn't hear, I am Val, and I am from the West Side branch, and I will share briefly about my connection and journey as part of Westside and also RTK. But as well as attending Westside and being part of RTK, during the day, I am an early years teacher, that's my job. And sadly, for the last few years, I've been looking at my pupils entering into education for the first time starting school. And my silent prayer, my hope for these children, isn't that they just receive good grades. It isn't just for them to achieve their full potential. My hope is that they live. They live to become adults. And I'll tell you why. Over the past 15 and a half, 16 years, I've been to many boys' funerals. In this slide, you'll see these boys have all lost their lives to knife and gun crime. 
Most of them are teenagers who didn't get to complete secondary school. As I was putting these pictures together at the beginning of this week, for the first time I actually counted, and it's 15 individuals. That's on average a funeral a year for the last 15 and a half to 16 years. In this next slide, these are some of those boys' parents and sisters. They are my friends. My friends who had no idea that they were seeing their children and brothers for the last time as they walked through their front door. Not until they received a knock on that very same door to be told their sons or brother has been involved in an incident. I'm going to pick out just three individuals from the images of those boys to share with you. Individuals, not stats, individuals who had a whole life ahead of them before they were ripped away, leaving so many broken families behind. The first boy I want to introduce you to, his name is Eugene. Eugene was 15, and he was part of our local football team where we lived. This football team not only brought the boys together, but watching them play every Sunday brought us parents together too. Eugene was one of the quietest boys in the team, and he played in midfield, but it was there you would see where his personality would come alive. Eugene, his mum, and his sister lived on the Wynn Stanley estate in Battersea, and his mum worked incredibly hard as a nurse to save up to move Eugene and his sister off the estate. She eventually bought a lovely little house outside of Battersea with a garden where Eugene would love to practice his football skills. He wanted to become a professional footballer. Eugene still had his job in Battersea and he was so proud to be earning his own money. On the evening of Saturday the 4th of November 2006, Eugene had just been paid. So after work, he went to the barbers, the same barbers he had been going to all his life to get a haircut. The plan was to get a nice new haircut, then go home, get changed, and then return back to Battersea, to Battersea Park, where there was a firework display as it was bonfire night. So leaving Battersea with a couple of his friends, the community that he had grown up with, the life that he had known in SW11 and his friends, had no idea leaving that area and going into another postcode, they would meet up on a group of boys. They sur were surrounded, they were attacked, and Eugene was stabbed a number of times. Eugene lost his life on the streets of London. Eugene's was the first funeral of a teenager who had been murdered that I had attended. And I will never, ever forget his mum telling me how she identified his body within seconds of them unzipping the body bag by recognising his fresh haircut. That day, we lost the midfielder in our football team, but his mum lost 
the midfielder of her entire life. As a unit, we struggled even more so as parents with Eugene's death. We had to navigate our way through this and we had to support our 15-year-old sons who some would crawl into our beds in the middle of the night after another nightmare. And that was the same year that they were preparing to sit their GCSEs. Us parents in the football team also had to support Eugene and his mum, sorry, Eugene's mum and his sister. And we had to support each other too. It wasn't a time where we had mobile phones and we could set up a WhatsApp group. It was physical, tiring visits and one-to-one -one telephone calls. That whole year leading up to the court case was extremely heavy. And it was after this that I started to attend Westside Church. The next boy I want to introduce you to is Jermaine. Jermaine was also 15, and he was nothing like Eugene. He was loud, he was cheeky, but he was sweet with it, and he was a joker. He was always playing pranks on his older sister. And I'm sure they wouldn't mind me letting you know he was very spoiled as well. His dad had longed for a son, and so when Jermaine came along, he was incredibly proud. His dad had worked really hard to build a family business and Jermaine was going to work with his dad. He was going to inherit this business. It was already agreed that as soon as he turned 16, he would leave school and come on board. On the afternoon of the 8th of August in 2017, during the summer holidays, Jermaine and his friend wanted to go to the cinema. They wanted to see Spider-Man the movie. Jermaine went downstairs to his dad's office to ask him for some money. His dad had taken the family away that previous weekend. So when Jermaine asked, can I have some money for the cinema, dad? His dad, barely looking up from his computer screen, reminded Jermaine that he'd already had his pocket money that week. So Jermaine did what he usually does. When his dad says no, he turns to his big sister. And his sister did as she normally does. She gave him some money and said he would have to pay her back. He would always agree, but never did. So Jermaine went that afternoon, he and his friend, to the cinema to watch Spider-Man. On the way home, looking through the bus window, they saw some of their school friends. So Jermaine and his friend got off one bus stop early. Unbeknown to them, there had been an altercation at that very spot a few hours before. And while Jermaine was talking to his friends, a group of older teenagers pulled up in a car. Jermaine's friends ran off. Jermaine was surrounded. He was attacked and stabbed several times. Jermaine died where he fell. A short while later, there was banging on Jermaine's front door. His sister thought it was Jermaine playing another prank, only to be confronted by the friend he had attended the cinema with and a police officer, telling her her brother had been involved in an incident. By the time Jermaine's dad and sister had got to the scene, 
it was too late. A few weeks after his death, Jermaine's national insurance card arrived in the post. It was what he needed to begin working with his dad in the family business. His dad, after opening the envelope, took it and laid it on his son's grave. And the third person I'd like to introduce you to is Matthias. Matthias lived on Bedford Hill in Balham, just a stone's throw from where we are here. Matthias was really popular in Balham. He was always known for singing as he walked along the local streets. He didn't care. He had a lovely singing voice and he enjoyed showing it off. And he would always draw smiles from strangers and passers-by. The last time I saw Matthias, he was with his mum. They were at a funeral. He had been diagnosed with ADHD, and his mum asked me if I was still teaching. She and I were having a conversation, and she shared her concerns for black and brown boys with special needs and the limited opportunities there are for them. The next time I saw Matthias' mum was last June, a few days after she had received a call to say there had been an incident involving her son. His mum told me how she raced to the scene and had to be held back by police officers as she watched the life fade from her youngest child. All three of those boys' families are now supported by RTK. And I personally am so grateful for the birth of RTK because for a good while, I was supporting lots of those families alone and the burden was incredibly heavy. And if I didn't have the altar at Westside Church where I could go and empty this burden of weight and then be refueled with prayer to go again from my church family, I don't know where I would be. There were questions I did not have the answers to. After Jermaine's death, Jermaine's dad showed me a school photograph of Jermaine with 29 other classmates. And he asked, out of all those children, why him? In 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, always be ready to give an answer, I didn't have one. When all those other families asked me why their child, I didn't know what to say. In this next slide, is one of my favorite quotes. It's by the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and I have it here on the back of my T-shirt. I like it because it speaks to me and it prompts me. There comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they are falling in. I couldn't just continue to be a teacher in the daytime and every so often take a day off to attend one of these boys' funerals, watch them be pulled out the river, be buried, hear their parents screaming 
and then go back to my day job. I was challenged to go upstream and find out why they were falling in. And this is one of the great things that RTK are doing. We are going upstream. We are going into pupil referral units and speaking to excluded pupils. We are trying to learn why they are falling in. And the pupils that we speak to, they don't just feel excluded from mainstream school, but a large portion of them feel excluded from life. RTK are giving these young people a safe space to have their voices heard. And what we are hearing is how they live and how they fear they may die and the choices they are making to survive. These teenagers lived and living experience challenges me to go further upstream, to speak to years five and six in primary schools, that's children who are aged 10 and 11, and in a sensitive way, speak to them about the dangers of getting involved in gangs and knife crime. But even at this stage, there are times when I really feel and sense that we need to go even further upstream. Our very youngest children at the earliest age, particularly our black and brown children, need to see positive images of themselves in our school history books. We need a wider representation of positive stories that include this underrepresented group. Our curriculum needs to adjust to speak to the gifts and talents of this marginalized group, the gifts that was given to them by our father. And I believe that when they recognize that they can do good with these gifts, those generational negative expectations, the self-hate, the shame that they carry will stop. And I believe so then will knife crime but I believe education at its earliest stages needs to be affected. But despite this truth, I see no one in authority wanting to discuss this issue, let alone tackle it. Westside will know this. On the final day of 2021, I woke up and I learned that there had been a further two stabbings and deaths of teenagers overnight. That brought the total to 30 teenagers for 2021, the highest number of teenage deaths ever on record to die on our London streets to date. This next quote, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. I am so grateful for this opportunity, nervous but grateful, to speak to the church about this topic this morning. And I do know there will be some who will say, perhaps what I'm sharing doesn't fit with what you're looking for in a nice sermon. But what I'm sharing isn't something that's detached from our reality. This is children who are dying, their blood being spilt on our streets where we all walk. And I don't know if I'll ever get another chance to stand in front of a church and speak on this level again. So I'm going to take this opportunity. 
I want to share, I want you to know what's happening to my community, what's happening to my friends, and what has been happening for years. And since I first went to Eugene's funeral in 2006, there has been more than 200 further murders of mainly black and brown boys on the streets. And I make no apology when I say this, but I believe if there were as many white boys as there were boys of color being murdered by other teenagers on the streets of London, there would be national outrage. But very little is being said and very little is being done. Since the 31st of December, 2021, when we hit that record, there has been no emergency meeting called to parliament. No one in a place of power who can make change is even prepared to talk about putting measures in where needed. No one in authority is going upstream to find out why these boys are falling in. 2021, 30 boys dead and not much said. I love what, um, Julia, you shared at the beginning when you said there is a gap in our lives that humans cannot fill. Because I believe if Jesus were here today, I really believe he'd be out there on the streets. He would be going upstream. He would be reaching out to this marginalized group of vulnerable youth. But Jesus isn't here. We are. We, the church, are his voice. We are his hands and we are his feet. And through us, those hurting family and those children who deserve to grow up and become an adult will see his hope. I am at the end of my talk now, sorry, and I've held it together. But I've just got three prayer requests, if I can just leave that with you now, just three in particular. Um, so the first one is to pray for those families who are deeply affected still by serious youth violence of gun and knife crime. And years later, that ripple doesn't stop. Jermaine died over five years ago, and I spoke to his dad on Father's Day two weeks ago, and I asked him how he was feeling. And he was carrying so much guilt. He was saying, the years are moving on, he's moving on, and he's forgetting the memories he had of his son. He's forgetting what his voice sounded like, and he was eaten with guilt by that. This is what these parents carry. They carry grief and they carry trauma. Some of those parents I showed you in those images are still to this day paying off debts for loans they have taken out to bury their children. None of those boys had life insurance or a funeral plan and funerals need to be paid for. Please also pray for some of those families who are finding their way forward by turning their pain into hope. They want to use the loss of their son to help future generations. Many have formed some fantastic organizations and charities in their son's name. And it is inspiring us, it's inspiring RTK and so many other organizations. Please pray that they continue to receive the funding that they need 
to inspire our youths and save lives. Please pray for early intervention as well for our young people, not just at an early age, but at an early stage, wherever they are. Please pray for schools to find a way of keeping vulnerable pupils in school, the vulnerable pupils who are at real risks. Because for them, falling into the system is like falling into the river. Please pray for teachable moments for us and for the young people. Pray for professionals and adults to have the patience not to give up on young people. A child will always sense when an adult believes in them or when an adult is about to give up on them. And both those things makes all the difference. And lastly, please pray in particular for young people who are caught up in this generational cycle of brokenness and they repeat, they regurgitate the wrong that they see and they believe this is their only way. In 1 Peter 1.14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. This is the hardest time to be a teacher. I've been in teaching for 23 years. This is the hardest time. Constantly pleading with children who find themselves so tempted in this time of financial crisis where pocket money is no longer a thing for many, to keep doing the right thing. This is my truth. We have a leader of this country who makes promises that he breaks, rules he's breaking, laws he and his team are breaking, refusing to own it. And our children are seeing this played out on their TV screen and on the front of free newspapers everywhere. This is their example. We have to pray for this struggle because it is real. And I believe prayer, our prayers, and his hope is the only way we will see change and we will not hear stories like you've heard this morning. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, Val, for sharing your heart. Um, she shared with me that quote earlier in the week, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. And I heard it and thought, that describes what happened to me kind of a few years ago. I'd become outraged, horrified, that parts of my own community, children living with fear and risk every day. And I know now that was a reflection of God's own heart and I had to do something. And I know that God calls each of us to something that reflects his heart. Different things for different people that connects with our own history and personality and gifts. And I think each of us here, uh, wherever you are, you'll be on that journey. Perhaps you found something of it to discover and respond. What is that journey for me? But for anybody here who this has connected with them in some way, I'm sure it will have connected anyway. But if they're oh, wondering if that's part of your journey to respond to this and you'd like to know more about RTK, then look us up on the website. On the screen, it shows you how you can do that or via social media um, and hear our news from there. Um, 
even better, join us this Thursday. Um, we have a meeting at half past seven. It's on Zoom or it's at the Westside site. Um, and we're going to be talking about, it's going to be a really good week at this time. Um, we're talking about the project we took into the local pupil referral unit recently. And it features a very talented spoken word artist who came in and spoke to the kids. So you, you hear a little bit of his work and, um, and his story, because he now works to connect with young people to prevent them following the path into knife crime that he experienced in his early years. So you'd be really welcome to join us there. So V61 Ballam, Westside, Battersea, thank you so much for listening, hearing Val's heart um, and uh, listening this morning. Um, each site is now going to pray as a response. So I'll hand back to each site leader to invite each site into prayer. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.